so much of what I do is relationship driven because from a spiritual standpoint, when I speak to someone about their spiritual health or their spiritual state, their relationship with God, I literally am asking permission to invade the innermost part of their being. They know what I stand for. They know, for the most part, they know what I believe. They know that I want to be their friend. And uh, I'm going to develop that friendship so that I can invade that doorway into their heart, into their inner being. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. David Ashby is the pastor of Trinity Community Fellowship in Farmer City and previously pastored in the Champaign-Urbana area for more than 20 years. The son of Champaign's former fire chief, he spent lots of time with first responders and passed on that legacy to both his oldest and his youngest son. Now in his late 60s, the grandfather of nine serves as chaplain of both Champaign and Urbana Fire Departments, the Urbana Police Department, and is one of four chaplains for the Champaign Police Department. For David, being a chaplain is all about developing relationships. The nature of work and training for police and firemen is extremely stressful and taxing on the heart and mind. By being present, Pastor David can develop trust so that when a need for support arises, he can be invited into the inner and most tender parts of the people he serves and provide personal and spiritual assistance. Are you ready to meet David? Well, I, uh, to be honest, I was born and raised in Champaign, Illinois, which is a little unusual for a minister. And uh, I uh, became a believer when I was a sophomore in high school there at a church there in Champaign-Urbana. And uh, later, ironically, later ended up pastoring that church for nearly 20 years. I was out of the ministry for a period of time after that. And uh, I've been back in the area here for yeah, just over 20 years. And uh, I pastor a church in Farmer City now, far enough away from my former church that I don't affect it, which is a good thing. That's the way I like for that to be. And yet close enough uh, to my roots. Um, uh, how did I get where I am today as far as, and you reached out to me regarding my involvement with first responders, fire and police. Um, I was raised in a first responder home. Uh, my dad was a champagne fireman and uh, until his death in 1974. And so I, I gained a love for firemen, policemen, first responders. I uh, have spent a lot of time around them over the years. Um, had the privilege of pastoring a number of them when I pastored in Champagne. And uh, when I moved back to the area just over 20 years ago, the Urbana fire chief at the time, Mike Dilley, 
spoke to me and asked me if, if I would uh, serve as the chaplain uh, for the fire department. And so that's, that's how I kind of got my feet in the water. And uh, I began, as I tell people, and they sometimes look at me like I've lost my mind, I chase red lights. I'm pager <laughs> to both Champaign and Urbana Fire Department. I, whenever they get a working event, a major working event, I'm pagered so that if I'm available and able to respond, I respond to those scenes and events. After I got involved with the Urbana Fire Department, there was an incident that occurred at the Urbana Police Department uh, involving some city work and things. And uh, as a result of some conversations that were had between the police and fire chief, the next thing I know, I'm asked if I'd help out with the police department, which I began to do. And uh, after that, I got involved with Champagne Fire, which is where my dad was. Uh, he was a Champagne fireman. And uh, I got involved with them as a chaplain. And uh, then Champagne Police decided that they would start a chaplaincy program. And I was invited to help uh, form that. And um, long story short, I ended up being one of four chaplains that are uh, involved with Champagne Police. And, um, you know, as I said, I pastor church full time. I work with fire and police and, and obviously I've been involved with other first responders. I've, I've helped out here in Farmer City uh, with some things that have gone on and events over the years. But I enjoy being with first responders. I like them. I think I understand them. And um, they're not all alike. I can tell you firemen and policemen are very different in most ways or in many ways. Uh, they're alike in a few ways, but uh, very different uh, people to deal with. And um, they react and respond differently. But, but once again, they have different roles and their training is different. And as a result, that impacts and how I, at least how I view them in any case. So, Yeah. How would you categorize or how would you summarize some of the core differences between working with police officers and working with firefighters? Okay. And once again, it's important that I state this is an opinion. Mm -hmm. Firemen are what I would call, they are, the right word would be team oriented. They respond in groups. They respond, you know, when, when you get a, uh, a response from the fire department, you're going to get a bright red truck and or whatever color truck. They seem to be different colors nowadays. <laughs> um, you're going to get right. you're going to get a, a bright red truck and you're going to get an average of three to four individuals, men and women on those trucks. And they're taught to operate. You know, they each have different functions. Um, they overlap, but different functions. And usually you're going to get more than one of those bright red trucks. If you get a working event in Champaign, there are going to be seven bright red trucks that are going to respond if, if it's a working fire. Mm -hmm. However, when you deal with police, they're trained to work together, but they're trained, they're on their own and uh, very uh, alone individually, uh, responding to scenes and uh, their safety is involved, uh, just a lot of different things. And so by nature, they're going to be in my opinion, slower to trust uh, someone that comes in that they don't know. So that makes it a very, very different uh, type of thing. Although, I'll, and this is an opinion, um, the climate of our culture today is probably driving them, firemen and policemen, very similar. 
uh, now because they've all got to be concerned about safety all the time. It's unfortunate, but that's the world that we live in and um, we deal with. As you serve and support both of these groups of first responders who have different ways of approaching their work, have different ways of interfacing, have different needs because of the things that you just discussed. What does that then look like when you're serving and supporting them as as a chaplain? Well, first of all, it depends on where I'm supporting them at, the circumstances of I'm supporting them. Very seldom would I be supporting a policeman on an active scene? That just doesn't occur the same way. Whereas with a fireman, I'm, I'm liable to be there in the middle of a of a fire, uh, you know, a multi-alarm fire. I'm liable to be there and I'm supporting them. Uh, let, let me separate it like that. On a fire scene, I am there for a variety of reasons. I'm there to be visible. Because my visibility, as I've had firemen tell me over the years, just seeing you walk on scene gives me peace. And that's, I always Mm -hmm. used to joke about that, but I understand that because of what I represent and uh, that type of thing. And then speaking to them in the course, depending upon what the magnitude of what's going on, the circumstance, just saying words of encouragement. You know, and that type of thing, being there, being that presence and then removing me from the scene, which would be more like what happens with policemen. I'm a presence there to support them and help them and encourage them, uh, whether it be encourage them because of what they're going through professionally in their work or encourage them because of and, and you listed in your list of questions there. You you're very perceptive because they've got a lot of different stressors. You know, they've got the same stressors that I have. They've got families. They've got finances. They've all just come through or still coming through the COVID, all of that. I mean, they've got all of that pressure that they're undergoing. And then they've got the personal pressure that relates to the job. You know, we've just had a terrible incident occur in Champaign. And the pressure that that creates on them because of home, because their families love them. They're worried about them. They're concerned about them. They understand their, well, to a point, they understand their exposure, their, their, you know, the safety issues. And firemen have that also. Um, you know, all of those things become very similar in that regard. And they carry that load. And part of my role is, is to be there just to be a friend, just to encourage them, just to, and if they want, and you ask some questions about spiritual support and spiritual help, which certainly that would be my forte, but they've got to want that. They've got to open to that. I can't force that door open. And, uh, you know, and so I, I develop a relationship with, with the folks and, um, it's pretty amazing what occurs sometimes, you know, when they let their hair down and, and they talk about it. And it's a challenge. I have a lot of concern because there are so many ways people deal with stress in our culture, in our world. What I would call the bad ways. You know, we, uh, they get involved with, uh, substance abuse, alcohol abuse. And, uh, by the way, just like every other person in our culture, I'm not singling out that profession. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a tremendous amount of that going on. 
Um, you have things that, that go on. Uh, I'm trying to think of a way to say it. Male, female behavior that, uh, no, no, that's not how you take care of your stress. And so those are things that, that we try to stay, I try to stay on top of, you know, as they open the door and, and you know, to me to be able to do that. Sometimes I'm encouraged by other first responders to have a conversation with so-and-so or to talk with, you know, another person. And once again, I got to do that with great care because yeah, maybe they're not open to have that conversation. And so you have to find a way to do that. And, and just so much of what I do is relationship driven. It's the ball game. I happen to believe it's the ball game in the ministry, but neither here nor there, but developing relationships with people because from a spiritual standpoint, when I speak to someone about their spiritual health or their spiritual state, their relationship with God, their relationship through Christ, I literally am asking permission to invade the innermost part of their being and to carelessly or thoughtlessly dive into that, it, it doesn't work very well, and you don't become as effective. And so they know what I stand for. They know, for the most part, they know what I believe. They they know that I want to be their friend, and uh, I'm going to develop that friendship so that I can invade that doorway into their heart, into their inner being. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense. It's, and it's about building trust. Absolutely. I spend time talking to them about some of the things that they deal with. And uh, a lot of my time can be involved with that at times. And then, you know, keeping those things in confidence, how, you know, handling all of that very carefully. One of the things we stress is that any conversation I have doesn't go any higher in their command or departmental structure. For the most part, I feel like the role of chaplaincy is well-respected by, I'll call it the upper chains of command. Mm. I have a good relationship with those people. I really like that you said that you have a pager and you're you're called just as, as much as the firefighters when there's major events. Um, and I'm sure that's can be any time of day or night and kind of be unexpected. And it's nice to have other people. You said there's four chaplains with the um, Champ- Champagne police. With the police, right? Yeah. But what does a typical day or week look like for you in that role of the chaplain? First of all, I would say that there's not typical. And then I would be very quick to say, remember that those of us that are that our chaplains are volunteer. And so we're not, we're not required or paid to keep a schedule uh, with that. I, I mean, I couldn't, I'm sitting in my church office now. And uh, the understanding has always been that in my church responsibilities come first. And, and then in the last year and a half, my wife passed away last October and I spent mm-hmm. a couple of years. Um, well, not solid a couple of years, but I, I spent a year and a half dealing with her cancer and then the COVID. And, and as a result, my priorities, I don't know that I want to say they changed, but the urgency of my priorities changed and that mm-hmm. type of thing. But, 
you know, a, a typical week, you know, I, I, I'm in the church office or working or, or somewhere else I'm visiting and my pager goes off and it tells me that there is a, you know, that, uh, one or the other of the fire departments is responding to a working event, a working fire at such and such an address. And, um, I will then start that direction. I've learned over the years to not go crazy until I know that it's, there's something really big going on. And, but I move that direction and, uh, I'll call Metcad, notify Metcad that, that, uh, I'm responding to that working event. That way they have my name on the ticket. They're watching for me depending upon the day or night or the area that's in, they'd like to know that I'm around or that I'm entering that part of the city. And, um, you know, I respond to that event and there for the duration. I've, I've been up all night at events. I've been up 30 minutes at events and, uh, respond that way with the police departments. Typically we're either texted. They page me through text or they're going to call. And, and I've been called, uh, you know, uh, you know, we've got this going on. Could you come in? Could you be here? And I really didn't get involved because I was out of town, but we had a recent, that recent event that we're all familiar with that occurred, uh, unfortunate event where we had a policeman killed and, and uh, another one shot. I had just flown out of town the day before, long story, but in any case, I got the page the next morning, though. I was over a thousand miles away and uh, plugged in immediately to what was going on. And we were able to have a chaplain at the hospital. There was a chaplain at the hospital that was with the policeman and his family that were injured. There was a chaplain at the hospital that was involved with the family of the policeman that was unfortunately a fatality. Then there was a chaplain that was at the, at, that, that stationed himself at the police station and made sure that he was there to handle people that needed to talk, people that wanted to mm-hmm. talk. And obviously since that time, we've tried to be conscious to maybe be work harder at visibility, work harder at being close to guys talking to them. When I, when I got back in town, I immediately started making regular stops there. And of course, with myself, I've got four entities, not counting my church, that I'm chasing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you try to spread that out. But once again, what makes a chaplain effective, in my opinion, is being visible all the time, or as much of the time as you can, so that when a need comes up, you're there to fill that need. And when the inevitable personal conversations occur that open up into spiritual things, you're in a position to be able to do that. And, and once again, I'm back to that word about relationship. It drives so much of what we do. And uh, once again, it's a little easier with firemen than policemen because firemen uh, operate in packs all the time. And uh, you go down the station, they're sitting around the dinner table or they're sitting in their recliners or they're out working on the trucks. And um, where the policemen, you can catch them occasionally a group 
in-house in the station, you know, doing reports or that kind of thing. But uh, usually they're on the street. And uh, in that case, if you can, uh, if you've got time and you can, you ride along with them, you mm-hmm. try to be available. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we did talk about earlier that all first responders experience a certain type of stress. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that our law enforcement professionals have a very stressful job and their job affects their entire beingness, their home life. They have society expectations. They have spouses and family members. They have finances. They have uh, calls for service that may result in unexpected things that they have to deal with. They have just the bureaucracy of the job to deal with. And as a general rule, I think people who are in those positions hold themselves up to very high standards and have a a high level of, of what is right. And so how can a focus on faith and religion or spirituality help with that stress? Um, how can that component of faith be a, a support as opposed to out of that context of faith that maybe just a counselor or a social worker would provide? What makes that context of faith different? There's an old Christian song called In the Garden. And in that song, the songwriter wrote, and he walks with me and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. I believe that song epitomizes what occurs in the life of a believer that is walking in his or her faith with the Lord. And I don't believe that you can remove stress. I think that's part of life. But I believe the ability to cope, the ability to deal, um, comes from an active relationship. You know, I'm trying to secularize this a little bit, but uh, comes from an active relationship of, with God and, uh, you know, uh, spending time with him, releasing the burden to him, being able to talk to him. And uh, I believe that. And I think that it adds a dimension to the help that person receives that from a purely secular-based counseling, they don't get. And that's not meant unkindly towards secular-based counseling. I'm grateful for people that that are sincere and and work with that. And I've worked with and been around any number of those folks uh, dealing with incidents, um, you know, the incidents we're talking about now, and great help. But when a policeman or a fireman or a paramedic or a doctor, have a relationship with God. They have a shoulder to lean on that is far beyond a human's shoulder. It's huge. You had asked about the potential of books I might recommend. And I I had just picked up on my shelf a book. I never read it. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah has a book called Abandon the Road. And it's talking about his bout with cancer. And, you know, life didn't go his way and uh, how he dealt with that. And uh, and it drives into the relationship with God. It drives into being able to have roots. I have, uh, I have a close relationship, a friendship 
in particular with the policeman that survived the recent incident. I know him mm-hmm. very well. And he's a strong believer. And um, I believe that as much as anything that he's doing is getting him through the distress and will continue to because the type of distress that, that he's dealing with will be a probably a lifelong thing that he will deal with in one degree or another. It's getting him through that. It's huge. Uh, I mean, I would even relate it, and, and obviously it's not a first responder thing, the passing of my wife in October. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my wife never knew a sick day in her life until uh, it'll be three years ago, uh, this coming Halloween, she had emergency surgery. And um, she'd never been sick, never. And, of course, we found out she had metastatic gallbladder cancer. And uh, mm. we went through the last couple of years of that. And I can tell you, that's how I survive. Okay? And I'm fine. But it's a dimension of my life that I have to deal with. And um, mm-hmm. and so in that degree, it's similar. I'm certainly not saying that it's the same degree that they're dealing with. But it's similar. Mm-hmm. And uh, And we all have to have... I mean, what would we do if we did not have a foundation to stand on, to reach to, to get us through in those times? Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at Scripture and and I I claim its promises, and um, mm-hmm. I I just believe it. I, I believe in it. I've experienced it, and that's that's a message I share uh, very often with the first responders. They, and when you have, and when you're able to develop, really develop a good relationship, they'll ask you the question, how do you do it? How do you do it? Cause they, they, they've gotten to where they, you know, some of them, not all of them, where they know me that well. And they know, you know, they, they know I, I tick inside like they do. And, uh, I feel pain like they do. And they ask and it gives me the opportunity. It's like opening the door to a counselor. <laughs> Because then you, then you can share with them on their level. Hey, mm-hmm. this is how I get through it. And by the way, it's not easy. I still struggle. I have bad moments. I have bad days. I have days that go like, I mean, they go in the toilet and, uh, I pick myself back up and I look to the one that gets me through, remind myself of his promises and, um, with the help of other friends, we get through that because we don't do it alone either. And, uh, they can't do it alone. And, uh, right. and that may be, that may be one of the challenges with policemen because they're used to doing it alone. And you don't, right. you can't deal with that alone ultimately. And, but it's when you, when training keeps you from, you know, keeps that barrier, uh, I go to my Star Trek. I don't know if you're a Star Trek person, but I go to my Star <laughs> Trek analogy. Star Trek. The shields go up, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, it's tough. It's tough. Right. Anyway, that's that's how I approach hmm. those things. Yeah. And those are really wise words. Is there any specific practices or activities that you invite 
those who are struggling with that stress or struggling with suffering or struggling with trauma and hard a burden of those things. Is there specific practices that you ever point people to? I just point to the scripture. Spending time in scripture, spending time studying scripture, not just reading. I mean, yes, reading. Got to start somewhere. But then uh, mm-hmm. studying scripture, um, uh, spending time in prayer, finding a prayer partner, finding a, um, the term we use, I've used sometimes is an accountability partner. Um, I'm careful mm-hmm. using that term because that the, the connotation can throw people off. But especially if they're struggling with behavior as a, res- with their behavior as a response, you know, somebody they can trust, somebody they're close to, somebody they can talk to. Somebody that can pick up the phone or walk in, you know, to the squad room somewhere where that they got to be alone and say, how you doing? How are you doing? What's going on? Have you been? You just go down the list, you know, that's huge because it is a struggle. It's a fight. Um, uh, Charlie Swindoll in, in his book, he has a book with the title, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Backward. And he talks about a variety of emotions in the book. Uh, I don't remember how many chapters there are, but, but, but the point is that is life. Three steps forward and two steps backward. And we need help in that. And, and so, um, you never go wrong getting into scripture. You never get, go wrong studying, praying, having an accountability partner. You know, it would be great. I don't have one right now, uh, for them. It would be great if they wanted to form a support group. Once again, people that have like pressure, that are going through the same valley, or that have similar emotions and feelings. But once again, there's a trust factor involved in that and getting them to where they'll be able to do that. Um, but that's, that's huge. Realizing you're not the only one. Because we tend by nature to feel like we're the only one, even though we cognitively may know we're not. But the emotion, mm-hmm. the feeling, and feelings lie, will drive us mm-hmm. to feel like we're it. Nobody understands. Nobody knows. Nobody's ever been here. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that doesn't get controlled, that can be a dangerous path, too. Once again, you can't force, and you know this with what you do, I would think, you can't force anybody to do anything. Nope. They've got to make the choice. And it's really aggravating when you desperately want them to. But um, mm-hmm. you, know, you do your very best. So, Yep. Yep. I parent teenagers, so that's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I would think that one of the challenging things that first responders encounter when they see the aftermath of humans who are in their weakest or their worst moments, um, how can that affect their faith? How can that affect um, or plant doubts and fears in them um, that make them question their faith? And how, how would you advise people handle that? First of all, um, yeah, they deal with, and I'm going to separate that, by the way, they deal with and they see one of the most important 
appendages, organs we have, and yet one of the most dangerous ones we have are these two things right here, the eyes. And they see things that, um, yeah, no one should have to see. And they have to deal with things like that. And unfortunately, their occupation demands they do it repetitively. They're going to see things on a regular basis. And uh, that can create a number of things. It can create what you're describing, you know, the doubting of the faith. Anger will roll in on that. It can create a callous. They become calloused because that's the only way they cope. You know, they tend to remove themselves. I, I've got a son and I, that tends to reflect the callous every now and then because of what he does. And he's a firefighter. And I, every now and then dad has to sit down and say, stop, <laughs> stop. Let's talk about this. In fact, he's the one that many, many years ago, I lived in South Florida when he became a firefighter. And about six months into the job, he called me one morning and he was emotional. And he said, dad, I understand. I said, you understand. He said, I understand what you do. I understand what grandpa did. I go, what, what, what are we talking about? He said, last night I was at a house fire. And he said, uh, a baby died. And I had to be the one to handle the baby. And for a 22 or three year old young man, that was beyond trauma. And we had to talk, talk about it, you know, and I, I think that it is normal for anybody, even I wouldn't even be shocked with someone of the strongest faith you can imagine to be rattled by those types of things. Another time I can go through my discourse of, I, do, I, I personally believe that the human brain was not designed to have to do that because the human brain was created in Genesis one and two and the fall of man didn't occur until Genesis three. And so, you know, all that trauma and stuff. Now, well, obviously we have to handle that and we do, but, um, it's really important that you drive yourself back into, number one, understanding that God is in control. We don't understand why certain events occur. I don't. Number two, the fall of man. You know, the curse that has occurred to all of creation because of the fall of man. Uh, it talks about it in Romans. Um, it has impacted things. And because of that, we have death. We have destruction. We have human behavior that's really, you want me to preach a while, it's at low ebb, I mean, right now. And it creates a circumstance that's really tough. And then we get to the world exactly as it is right now. And they pull their hair out, the first responders. I mean, most first responders are very, very, very high caliber people. But now they're going out doing their jobs and people are, I'm generalizing, but a lot of people are looking down their noses at them, are expecting them to do wrong. They're not. They're just trying to do their job. And unfortunately, and I don't want to become political in lecture here, but they're not able to do their jobs. We've handicapped. I believe they're being handicapped terribly. And that's a stress that's very great. That, that's one of the reasons the number of policemen is down 
And I, I pray it doesn't affect uh, the firefighters. Uh, there was a firefighter that mm-hmm. was shot this week, uh, not locally. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it has a tremendous traumatic impact. And that's why we, and I'm talking about we as the general public, we need to support them and encourage them. Now, somebody does wrong, we stand against wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. But if they're not doing wrong, if they're just enforcing the law, trying to keep order, uh, trying to protect the human life, safety, whatever, we need to be strongly supportive of them. And um, that's tough because of our world, how you suddenly become mute if you're not careful. That's why mm-hmm. I'm get real nervous when I'm saying something in an open forum like this, not because I don't believe it. I don't want to open a door to something that isn't what I believe. I, mm-hmm. Do I make sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 It is tough, a, a tough um, reality. And that's why your job is so important in providing that support. But for people like you who are in helping roles, such as pastors and chaplains, I know they're burning out too. They're fatigued. They're wrung out. And so what are some of the tools that you use to assist with self-care and resilience and your own spiritual wellness so that you can continue to pour out and support others? First of all, uh, the things that I've shared with you that I try to guide them to do, I've got to practice what I preach. And that can be difficult, but I work at that. I had open heart surgery 13 years ago, and I began an exercise. I don't want to call it a regiment, um, but I began walking. And then when my wife got sick, I even kicked it up a notch. And Mm -hmm. uh, I walked three to four miles every morning. And um, I have found that's healthy. I I can pray. I can walk and pray. I can walk and think. Um, uh, As well as get the physical exercise that is good for me. And, um, you know, that's huge. I have some close friends that I can vent to. Um, I learned early um, that I, I had to. I've always been the type of pastor, even when I was not a chaplain. Uh, I, I, I believe that uh, the shepherding ministry of the ministry is sometimes forsaken and, and lost. I'm in Farmer City right now, and at 10 after 11 this morning, I had a call that one of my ladies had been rushed to the hospital in Gibson City. Mm-hmm. I've been to Gibson City and back before I spoke to you. And, um, wow. um, and if I couldn't have made that work, I wouldn't have. But, but the point is, is I've learned I have to download. I've learned I've got to let it out. Um, and I work at that. Um, I'm probably not as good at times as of getting away as I should. Shame on me. Um, I'm working at it more. Um, and uh, my three children and nine grandchildren are kicking my backside to do that right now. But, <laughs> you know, but uh, they stay. Uh, yeah, you you mentioned that you were raising teenagers. I, I'm, I'm raising grand teenagers now. 
and uh, grandchildren mm-hmm. that are teenagers. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I understand. I do understand. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really important that you that you spend that time away. I read a lot. I read recreationally, mm-hmm. and uh, and by that I mean I I will read uh, fiction. Um, that that's kind of the time for me to just go away, and uh, mm-hmm. I'll I'll read fiction, different kinds of fiction, but. Uh, I do that, and some people say, "But you're a minister; you ought to be." Re-. Yeah, I know. Well, I read the other stuff too. <laughs> uh, you know, I got right. books all around me. Trust me. But uh, I do that to download. I, I, uh, most days, most evenings, I read myself to sleep at night, and uh, this has a way of setting a tone and helping me. Those are yeah. things that I do. Well, thank you. This has just been really insightful, and I think in our current reality, I think we have to remember that our first responders are human beings, too, and they struggle, and they have relationships, and they have needs and desires, and I think generalization one way or the other is not helpful, and I think if we come about it as if... um we're dealing with fellow human beings, that is so critical. And so the work that you're doing to support our firefighters and our police officers is much needed. And I thank you for that volunteer service that you're doing. So I really like to end these talks just with some quick questions, just to get a little bit more of a sense of who you are, not these big ideas and these big concepts, but a little bit more silly and personal Um, So are you ready to answer a few questions? Fire away. (laughs) All right. So what's something that people get wrong about you? I think people think I'm harsh. I'm a rather direct person. And uh, you usually don't have to guess what's on my mind. And as a result of that, they can think that I'm a harsh person. When I speak on Sunday, I, I get emotional and excited and and teaching or preaching and uh, uh, good preaching has teaching and good teaching gets a little preachy at times. But uh, um, I get excited and they think I years ago, I had a lady that made an appointment. She I never met her before. She or I'd met her in church, but she had not in any other context. And she made an appointment to see me in the office. And she came in and sat down in my office and uh, we talked a few minutes. And all of a sudden she just stopped and stared at me. And she goes, you're different. I go, I'm different. She said, yeah, you're not like you are on Sunday. And I laughed because I'm, I'm really not a harsh person. I, I'm, I'd i like to think I'm kind and gracious and uh, that. But I, you don't have to guess what's on my mind. And candidly, as a chaplain for first responders, if you're on an emergency scene, you need to be rather direct or you're going to get eaten alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, And to be dealing with people directly um, who have that, that barrier, like you said, their shields are up. I think it helps to be a little bit more direct as well. Sure. Um, Sure. Absolutely. So uh, we talked a little bit about your daily walking, but do you have any other favorite or most meaningful ways, spiritual practices right now? 
You know, it would involve, obviously it involves, sometimes it involves my walking, just my, my praying. Uh, I, I take advantage of every opportunity. I, I, I recently spent a series speaking on prayer. And one of the things I talked about is, uh, constantly praying and starting my day with prayer and ending my day with prayer and praying all the, all the time throughout the day. It's just a continual prayer. I'm just continually talking when it's appropriate with God. And, and so, um, whether I'm walking, uh, I'd sometimes tell my church, uh, I laugh when I say it. I'm not joking. I mean, I pray it, it's 15 miles. I live in Muhammad and the church is in mm-hmm. Farmer City. And of course, my first responder stuff is in Champaign Urbana. And so I have mm-hmm. distances on the road and, uh, I pray. I'll talk just like I'm talking to you because I believe ultimately that's what prayer is. It's just, it, it, that doesn't sound right. It's communicating with God and it's both me communicating to him and me listening for him and to his mm-hmm. direction and leadership in my heart and in my life. And, uh, um, and I, and I've always tried to do that, but I, confession's good for the soul. I, I mean, since, uh, my wife's been gone almost nine months and I've spent a lot of time. In nine months, just, just talking and it, it, all of a sudden, just talking, you know, and, and once again, helping, we talked about how to get ourselves straight and keep ourselves straight. And, uh, I do that once again, I'm no different than anybody else. We all have struggles and people that have been where I am have had the same struggle, but I believe that that's what helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can very much relate to that. My um, my first husband passed away in 2006 after a nine-month struggle with a brain tumor. Mm. So um, I can relate to that. And I think you do slip into different kinds of prayer and different types of prayer and different ways of praying and being with God when you go through some of these life-changing events. Right. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's one thing in your life that might seem ordinary but is sacred to you? The last thing before I go to sleep, usually, unless I'm just gone. And the first thing I do when I wake up is – Thank, thank the Lord. It, no matter how the day has been, no matter what it has entailed, making myself be thankful and looking for the good. You know, I struggled uh, with my wife, uh, with her loss. She's not lost. I know where she is. But anyway, um, but I struggled with that. And I, uh, you know, been about three months ago, I, you know, I slapped myself upside the head and I said, stupid, you talk about, you preach about this all the time, you talk about it. You know, I mean, you wouldn't still be here, David, if God didn't have a purpose for you. There's a plan for your life still. And you may not like the way it's been dealt right now, but you know what? He has a plan. And um, I had to have a conversation there. But, um, you know, 
I don't know. Maybe that's not ordinary, uh, what I described to you, but uh, that's sacred for me, just to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know. What are you deeply grateful for right now? I am grateful for life. And I'm specifically talking about this life, the opportunities that God has allowed me to have. I've had the opportunity to be involved in uh, the greatest work on earth, and that's to take care of people and obviously share the gospel with them. But I have that opportunity to impact the lives of people, not because I'm so special, but just because for whatever reason, the sovereign God put me in this position. Between mm-hmm. the people in my church, the people that I know, because once again, I live in the area I grew up. You know, I grew up here, as I've already said, my dad was a fireman. My dad actually was the fire chief, became the fire chief in Champaign. And so there's name recognition, there's opportunities. You know, I'll be 69 years old soon. And uh, I've had a tremendous opportunity. And the truth is, sometimes I don't feel so grateful. I'm having one of those days. But um, I am grateful. And uh, if I can affect one person's life, it's been worth it. And uh, that's what the ball game is. It's what it's all about. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, Come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.